your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. In studio with me for the first time, I think. This is the first time you're in studio, right? Yeah, first time in studio. Is Dr. Dale? Yep. Dr. Dale, the UW Lacrosse. You can call me Tim. <laughs> Tim Dale. <laughs> UW Lacrosse political science professor. And um, I, I like to do this every time. It's just because because you kind of have like a different, like a, you all have your, your like sects of S-E-C-T-S, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's even the right word, but of political science. Yeah, but right. can, and yours is kind of interesting. Can you just kind of break down what your your expertise is in political science again? Yeah, yep. So um, what I teach at UW-Lacrosse is political theory, which is kind of the political philosophy, the philosophy behind government, why we have the government we do, why democracy is a good idea. Uh, but we delve pretty deep in my classes into concepts like freedom, equality, justice, try to understand where these ideas came from. Uh, but then I also do American politics, so uh, study national elections, um, do some stuff with that. Uh, but we have a great professor who does that in the department, uh, Dr. Chagoski. So it kind of pushes me over to the philosophy side. Oh, right. Yeah. So what what is what are you like the last week? Like what what are you doing? And then are you so I so saw I mentioned to you before the show. Yeah, when the NBA started, me and my buddies went to the new grocery store and got a bunch of food and and watched the NBA because in I'm I love the NBA. Um, is this your NBA season opener? Like, a, yeah. a well, it's more like NBA finals, although this okay. may be the all-star game or something. Yeah. But, um, no, I, ever since I was in college, I loved politics. And so whereas other people get exhausted by elections, I love watching them. And so the, everybody around me, my family, my friends, my coworkers kind of trudging through Tuesday and I'm like getting up early and packing my snacks for watching the returns come in. So, um, I don't think I slept or ate anything for about forty-eight hours. It's a it's a weird thing too the the midterms because when I'm looking at the results, I'm like, all right, well, eight percent is in. There's no reason to even. I don't need I don't need to look at these for another. I don't know, couple hours at least. But there is there is a weird. It's not even weird, and I don't have the knowledge. But maybe you do, or maybe you go to places to find this. When when the race is like, like what 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 percent at like fifty sixty percent? Well, let's just do Ron Johnson versus Mandela Barnes. And you do you look at the map and see where that fifty or sixty percent has come in? You go, oh, Milwaukee is in, and Johnson's up by three percent. It might be over. Do you do stuff like that? And 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 then when you get done with it, do you go, well, what was the point of that? Because <laughs> I don't know if you, are you live tweeting the election results or yeah, you know, like, well. I'm not live tweeting them, but what you just described is exactly right. Um, when political scientists and, and the broadcast networks are now doing this, um, where you have really scientific understandings of what voter turnout looks like, and so on election night, I'm just not, I'm not watching the main numbers. I'm watching the, the district by district and maybe even precinct by precinct numbers. We know where these votes are coming from. I'm also watching for where candidates are underperforming what we would expect them to do or overperforming. So in political science, we understand where the vote came in for Biden, for example, uh, two years ago. And so we can watch returns come in and see when it is that candidates are doing what, better or worse. In terms of what your point is, which is we just wait for the next morning to find out who won. Right. Um, when it's actually going on, it's kind of like watching the NBA. Where yeah, you can find it. out what happens the next day, but it's much more interesting to watch it as it happens. Except there's no dunks. 
And there's uh, no cool plays. I don't know. What's a dunk for you? Yeah, I don't know. Is I, there a dunk? Well, there, like, was a, there was a great uh, uh, interview done on Tuesday night by one of the sheriff's candidates in lacrosse. And uh, it was the most gracious uh, point about what it is that we're going to need to do once the election's over. We're going to need to work together. I'm, everybody's a winner no matter who wins tonight. And I would consider that to be a dunk because people like me who like democracy are waiting for those moments of, could we actually decide that we can work together on something after we're done competing? Uh, anyway, that's probably as close to a well, slam dunk as I heard. And, and I'm, maybe I'll bring that up, but the Wisconsin state government is, in, in, in a different light, is, is well, not really, but the, the, we have a governor that that's Democratic. We have a state legislature that's Republican, and they haven't done anything for at least, well, they haven't, I would say they haven't done anything since at least March. And the governor has vetoed more bills than any governor has ever done before. And the state legislature has gaveled in and out of session 11 times special sessions for Governor Evers. So there's, I always like to bring that up. Like, we haven't come to the table apparently on anything. And I don't know, do you, well, we got, we got a couple of, do you, do you feel like that's, that's got to work itself out? We can't do this for four years. Yeah, probably not. I mean, one of the things I think was so surprising for Republicans is how close these races were. I think a lot of Republicans were more confident that they were going to be able to pick up the governorship. Uh, what's interesting is that voters, by voting in Evers, are saying that they've been pretty happy with the way he's been doing things. So I think it's actually incumbent on both Evers and the legislature to figure out how they're going to work together. This is our reality. We are not going to lose a Republican legislature. Evers is now governor for four years. What does that look like? And I think there's going to kind of be some reckoning going on because voters clearly said, we're okay with Evers being in the governor's mansion. What are we going to do? Yep. 608-785-7914. It's Dr. Tim Dale. He's the UW Lacrosse political science professor. Uh, he's going to spend hours with us. He's, he's chugging soda right now. He's getting all that caffeine going. Uh, we'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. Dr. Tim Dale in the studio with me. You'd be Lacrosse Political Science Professor. We got one call coming in, Tim, so we'll bring him on if you want to throw those headphones on. We'll yep. bring him on here in a second. But um Okay, we were talking about this in the break, and we can get this out pretty quickly. Um as we're as I'm hitting refresh on all the pages to get election results. And some of them I didn't even I think I went to bed. Because it was like three in the morning, Brad Path versus Derek Van Orden. Yep. It was it was it was like four percent, but but the number was like seventy five percent reporting, and I'm like that's twenty five percent. I don't know, like maybe maybe they could, it could swing Brad Path's way. I know it's not going to, but you never know. So I just I went to bed. I'm like, well, somebody when because those guys will wake up at six in the morning, they can put it up. Um, but the but the results take a while, and then in other states, so Wisconsin, we're done. Like right, we we don't have a whole lot. Yeah, of- there there may be a few more that are coming in, but that part part of the question is um, in, in terms of counting ballots is you have different ways that ballots come in. So you have the day of elections, you also have absentee ballots, you have uh, early voting. Um, and every single state has different laws about when those can be counted, when you have to do a cutoff yeah. for them. Um, and so um, it's actually one of the reasons why we know that the elections are fairly safe is that there are so many assurances built in that one of the reasons it takes longer for votes to be counted is because they're they're validating the votes as they come in. So you can't just show up with a box and say, hey, I found these uh, behind a dumpster. So right. um, that's kind of why the, the vote takes so long. And um, one of the things I guess your listeners might be interested we, in is we that, have done that, though, before, not a box behind the dumpster. That's right. But- well, that's 
But they have like, oh, Betty forgot that there was a bunch of absentee ballots right. in this that, closet. That's exactly here. right. So what they get is they get a count of how many people voted by precinct, but they don't have the counts of what the vote was. Yeah. And they have to match their voters at, to the votes in terms of the number. So people probably know when they go to the, ba- the voting booth, they sign a book. And they get a ballot. And those are two separate numbers that are kept. And yeah. every precinct has two numbers that have to match at the end of the night. And so this, at that, and that goes as they aggregate the votes on up. And so they always have to be sure that their votes counted match the voters who voted. And that's one of the ways that we safeguard our elections. Right. And so at the end of the night, when the number is off by like 200, you're like, all right, we're missing right. and, a and, pile of somewhere. And as you said, like people also know that when they go to the ballot box, there is uh, the community members are sitting behind the desk with a, you know, a Reese's peanut butter cup and a sticker. Uh, these are people in our communities. There's there's no nefarious uh, cabal that's running elections. Yeah, that's it's, why I use Betty because I feel like it's very just uh, a lot of people named Betty in the community. <laughs> right, right. So I, I vote in Chaseburg, and one of my favorite things to do is go in on election day and um, see him working hard behind the desk, get my little piece of candy, and fill in a ballot. Um, the, the people who work uh, the precinct level work really hard, long hours, and I think they're the unsung heroes of democracy. I think we some of those people, opinion. if not all, are they? Vol- a lot of them are volunteers. Yeah, yep, so, yep. like, hey, we're just going to spend twenty hours here, right? You right. know, like get maybe. up early, go to bed late, thankless job. And then I don't think we can give them a pizza, you know, bring them a, some pizza or anything because that would be like bribery or something. I feel like that that would be a good idea, though. Maybe we could get a state sanctioned pizza or something. We <laughs> yeah, bring. right. And in what is it in uh, Georgia? You can't bring them water. You can't bring voters People water in line. Right. right. Yeah. Because there's... it might be water that's sponsored by a Democrat or right, something like right, that. Right. Right. Um, all right. We'll go to the phones here. Caller, who's this? This Jim. Hey, Jim, you're on with Tim. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, something that's bothered me for a long time is the Democrats refer to our system, our form of government, as a democracy. And we are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And there is a difference. And look it up. Our founding fathers warned us about a form of government uh, turning into a democracy. And when we say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, we don't say into the uh, democracy in which it stands. We say into the republic for which it stands. So... I want to clear that up, and then you're 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 uh, operating from a faulty foundation when you say democracy. All right, he's lecturing you there, Tim. Yeah, no, I I, I think the the caller actually makes a really good point. We talk about this in our classes on what kind of democracy America is. Uh, we're a democratic republic. Your caller is right. We're also a liberal democracy, which is the kind of democracy that recognizes individual rights. So as your caller pointed out, we aren't a democracy in that we can just vote to have someone's religion taken away, for example. And so that's not necessarily the Republican part of our democracy. That's the liberal part of our democracy. That's how, what liberal meant when the American Constitution was written. So if you're going to be precise, which is what the caller wants, we are not only a democratic republic, but we are a liberal democratic republic. There are a lot of layers to our democracy, and the people who wrote the Constitution actually were fairly brilliant in how they well, put it together. Can we? Is it as simple as the word democracy is a verb? There and not an ad, uh, a noun? Well, and I think uh, this is where people get confused because you could say something like the two-party system isn't as democratic as a multi-party system, for example, which is actually true. If we had more choices, which is one of the things that people sometimes don't like about Election Day in the United States, uh, we would be more democratic. But uh, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the system that we want and certainly not the system that we were designed to have. I have all I had all kinds of choices on my U.S. House um, ballot in Minnesota's first because I had the Republican, I had the Democrat, I had the legalized marijuana party, I had the legalized cannabis party. I had all kinds of people. 
Also, I don't know. Do you pay attention to that at all? Have you? Do you know about this? So I don't know about so, the Minnesota. So side. federally, we have legalized. Like it's up to the states, right? Kind of like what we're talking about with abortion. We've like whatever state wants to legalize marijuana. Well, so why are these guys in the U.S. House of Representatives running on a legalized marijuana party? ticket but we've that has nothing to do with the federal government anymore we've already passed that also if it's down ballot if it's like a state race minnesota accidentally legalized thc edibles so we've kind of i could see maybe a little bit more pull in the state government but these guys are just i don't know i just don't understand what what their deal is to to be on the ballot It it would be different if they were a different party but they're just they're very obviously a party for one thing Right, and so usually when you, that happens, it's not necessarily that those people ever think that there's a chance that they would win. It's more about bringing attention to your issues so or issue. Right. Uh, we see this at the national level. We remember when Ralph Nader ran for president okay. uh, in the Green Party. Uh, we have libertarians that run every year. Well, what was Ralph Nader's party called? The, uh, Green, the Green Party. Party right. But yep. what's the Green Party? Mean? The Green Money Party or, is uh, or... it's it's a party to the left of the Democratic Party. So okay. it's uh, it, it's based on kind of an environmentalism yeah, message, okay. but so definitely uh, not money, but like trees, right? Like the, yeah, it's hard to call it the tree party, but then I guess you think it's marijuana again. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, clear, see, I, Ralph Nader is like mm, it's a little out of my scope of paying attention, but that wasn't even that long ago, was it? No, no, and actually the third party that made the most difference in recent. What memory, year was Ralph Nader? Uh, that would have been um, he. He was a problem for Al Gore, I remember. Um, and I think he was a problem for uh, John Kerry. Uh, so I think that would have been... Okay, so, so like the... 2000 right around 2000. and 2004. Probably, okay, what, but you're, are you paying attention to this as a kid? Uh, well, attention? I was in college. You're at in the college. Time. Yeah. You're the same age as me. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So. And um, that's kind of some of my favorite memories. So, were, but you're the weirdo in college that's paying attention to politics. Oh, and you're, the time. Oh, oh, Ralph Nader, look at this stuff. I don't, and then, obviously, like... The rest of your classmates in college are, are you know, just... Well, yeah, I could find some nerds to hang out with. Yeah, One right. of the things I like about <laughs> college is you can find nerds like you. But a uh, quick story related to what your point was about election returns. One of my formative memories was watching uh, at an election party of nerdy college students with some professors who were hosting it. And in the 2000 election, we might remember that was the uh, Al Gore election that was up in the air. You know, it all comes down to Florida. Um, and they had called Florida for Bush, and I had a professor who looked at me and said, that's going back in the uh, middle column. They haven't counted these counties. And he was breaking down in front of me why the news had it wrong. And I remember watching that thinking, that's what I want to do. So oh, yes. <laughs> I want to understand what's going on even more than the news is for broadcasting. Libertarian guys texted and he said, Grid- gridlock can be a good thing, Rick. Government tends to screw up things. Gridlock prevents that. So Wisconsin state government is very gridlocked. Um, and it, even in terms of like nominating or uh, the, the, the Senate confirming cabinet members for Governor Evers, which is still not going to be done in the in the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that it doesn't ever have to be done. We won't see. Ca- I mean, will we see even cabinet members get get uh, positions under the new government, Governor Evers new term? Yeah, I'm not sure. And actually, uh, one of the reasons why, if you took all the names out of it, all the names out of this last election and we saw. Democratic governor be elected in Wisconsin and a Republican senator being elected to the national government. We would ask why that happens. And one of the things that political scientists point out every election is that we tend to vote, meaning particularly Wisconsinites tend to vote for a divided government. Mm -hmm. We have a Republican legislature. People voted for a Democratic governor. We have a Democratic president. People voted for a Republican senator. Uh, The voters voted for a divided government. So uh, in a way, it is functioning uh, the way that maybe a libertarian would want and 
we're seeing more gridlocked uh, government. I was trying to find the the numbers, you know, based on, uh, you know, 50, what was it, 51 or 2 percent of voters voted for Evers. And then they on, they only hold like 30 percent of the assembly and right, and right. something like that. So yeah. we want to divide a government or a, a gridlock Absolutely. or a divided governor government. But also we want to be represented equally. Yeah. And that's not happening. OK, so in, in reference to that, I'll just I mean, selfishly, my state is now totally I believe it's totally democratic so minnesota has the the senate flipped to to democrats jeremy miller the most powerful senator in the state is in winona there he's a republican he's no longer the most powerful senator now uh that it's flipped and then the the house was democratic and obviously the governor remains democratic um do you what what kind of things do you think would are there big changes michigan the same way the whole thing is democratic now do you see any big changes like what happens if Wisconsin went all Republican or all Democratic? Yeah, well, that's one of the things that um, we we have a long history of voting split ticket. And I mean, you take our two senators right now, Tammy Baldwin and Ron Johnson. People from outside Wisconsin look and say, "What is going on right. over there?" Uh, and so, what you just described, Michigan and Minnesota, are kind of that classic blue Midwestern state, which I think outside of the Midwest, people might think Wisconsin went that way until we saw Scott Walker being elected. But we have a long history. Tommy Thompson, for example, um, is a really good example of someone who governed while there was a Democratic legislature. I think we do see in Wisconsin this desire to move toward the middle. And that is frustrating for some people who aren't happy with that and certainly not happy with uh, the, you know, the basis of the party. Uh, but I think that that's what we see over and over again in Wisconsin voters. Well, and then when Governor Evers vetoes 146 bills passed by the Republican uh, senator, Republican legislature, a lot a lot of those bills are just so that Republicans can point to the number at the end of the day and go 146, when a lot of those bills shouldn't even be proposed. Uh, just talking to some of the assembly reps here, they're they're, you know, just... They're just to get attention, right? Right. Well, one of the things that you're going to see at the national level is that vetoes really don't come as much at the national level, and that's because you don't pass legislation unless you expect it to go into law. Uh, What's happening and what happens in the state legislature is that, like you said, they'll pass legislation without even negotiating with Evers, and that's where you know it's legislation that they actually want passed is they would have a discussion about what it is that they could pass and not have vetoed. Uh, but that that's not I mean, you, you get uh, legislation and veto power uh, sometimes as political theater. I don't remember what I was talking about, but I remember talking about this yesterday. Just the idea that uh, if if we have something, we're not going to put it up for a vote until we know we have the votes because we don't want to to lose. Um, I would like to see the U.S. House just put up for a vote. Daylight savings time making that permanent, because if it doesn't pass, it doesn't pass. We're never going to see it again. Talk to three congressmen in the house and they all all three of them are like well we're pretty busy and inflation is we're, we're too worried about inflation and it's like well i mean it's there like what do you need to talk about just just vote on it this isn't a thing you've never thought about the thing that affects everybody twice a year and nobody likes i don't know who likes uh, daylight saving um real quick when we're looking at the county numbers lacrosse county voted for evers 58 percent and um obviously the state was 51.2 percent and we see that a lot. Do you do you do 
what, as a political scientist, what do you what do you take from numbers like that? That's a huge discrepancy. Right. Well, it's a pretty big discrepancy. It's not as big as Dane County where Madison is or Milwaukee right. County. Um, so I think what we see, and, and this is my prediction, is that we're going to see a lot of people running for president uh, <laughs> coming up okay. because uh, we are on the western side of Wisconsin, a swing area of a swing state. And so you have areas of the state that are clearly carved out for one party or the other. Um, that 58 number, sure, it's bigger than what the statewide average was for Evers, but it's much closer to 50 than it is to 75. And I think that um, Lacrosse, the, the city of Lacrosse, is a more democratic area. But the county, once you take it all into yeah. account, um, I think that the Doyle Hips race was a good example. Um, you have uh, a, a pretty even, even the divide. sheriff's race, 175 uh, the, yeah, votes. Right. Sheriff's race is a great example too. Um, and well, when, and when you get to those numbers, we talk about gerrymandering. Oh, we'll get to this in the break. But the, just the idea that like, oh, maybe the Doyle Hips race should be all the races. Maybe they all should be that close. The Governor Evers, uh, Mike, Tim Michaels race. Uh, maybe they should be that close because that's how most of the country is. All right, we'll get back. Uh, all right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914 is the talk at text line. Tim Dale, you'd be a lacrosse political science professor in the studio with me. Tim, when Taylor Swift gets involved in politics, and and uh, I think it was Tennessee, we might talk about this already. She, I think it was Taylor Swift. She she tweets out something political, and then f- like five hundred thousand people go and register to vote. It's it's a weird phenomenon. Like uh, if the Rock ran for president, would the Rock win? And then probably definitely the next election. Right? I, I think there are a lot of Democrats that are really hoping the Rock runs uh, for president. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there were some fantasies I feel about like he's a Republican. He uh, a Republican. I don't know about that. I, I think that there was even like, I mean, half joking uh, speculation that the Democrats would be trying to get rock to run against Trump, that that might be their only chance. Uh, this was four years or whatever that was when the primaries were starting. But um, no celebrities, uh, it's, it's become commonplace for pop culture and politics to be completely tied together. Um, let, let's see here. Oh, Jim, I was going to read Jim's text, but he's Jim's just agreeing with you. At some point in the last half hour, Jim had agreed with you. He said you nailed it. Um, this is something I had you on before the elections, and I didn't get to this question, but it's still going to be pretty relevant. So back home, and my parents live in Greenville, Wisconsin. One of the neighbors has a Trump Pence sign, but he basically like cut out the Pence part, you know, and in a in a way that made it look natural. It wasn't like just ripped out or something. It was like circles. So you couldn't see the Pence part, but that signs signs up like perpetually forever. And you you might see that. But but in general terms, um you had brought this up. Do yard signs essentially do yard signs work? Do the do the, you know, if you see 5000 yard signs for for one person and not the other, do, is that working? Well, campaigns spend a lot of money on yard signs, particularly local races. So People probably have seen or even have in their yards all these signs that seem like they're everywhere. Um, one of the key elements of running for office, particularly local races and state races, is name recognition. And if you can't get your name recognition up, you're uh, way behind. And so there's a certain level that you need to get to in terms of name recognition. And so seeing yard signs is one of the main ways that people get name recognition. People don't read the mailers that come to their mailbox. Uh, watching TV, sometimes people put those on mute. But you see the yard signs as you drive. Um, the other thing that yard signs help with is that they associate candidates together. So they're essentially working against the split ticket voting. So if somebody sees a Ron Johnson sign next to a Hips sign, for example, 
they're associating those two together. And so yard signs, when you have a bunch of them, are essentially encouraging a person to vote. If they support one candidate that they see a sign on that yard, then they should support the other ones. And you'll see that sometimes for like sheriff races and other things where a candidate where someone wouldn't necessarily know the name of them can then be a, a Assigned or right. I mean, that's, associated that's with pretty it. relevant. If you have a Ron Johnson sign out there, okay, everyone knows Ron Johnson. It, right. It's essentially, especially right. if you have the yard sign. But you're like, okay, well, who is this Hipsch guy? All right, well, what is he even running for assembly? Okay, and then well, who is this Linefelder guy because he's running for sheriff? Is you know, so you see them all together. But you didn't really answer the question. You kind of did, but do they right. work? So I, I also want to say this is me uh, doing a professor cop out of your answer. What do they work for? Because the other thing that they're important for, if you're from a campaign, is that you can actually measure the likelihood that someone is going to vote for your candidate based on actions that they take. And so if somebody volunteers at a campaign center, obviously they're going to vote for somebody. But the yard sign is a really critical action that if you put a yard sign in your yard, you are something like 50% more likely to actually vote on election day. So what you're actually seeing is not necessarily an advertisement for the candidate, but you're actually seeing the campaign wanting the person who put the yard sign up to associate that yard sign with their obligation to vote for the candidate. So from a political science standpoint, it's actually less about advertising a candidate and more about the person who puts it up being a guaranteed voter for the person that they put up. Is there, is there something to a campaign also knowing how many people came to get my yard sign and therefore I know at least, okay, well, I have 1,000 yard signs and only like 18 people came, so something's up. Right, and that's a good way. It's a really good way also to measure how effective your campaign is. If you have 1,000 yard signs and you only have eight picked up, something's going wrong. Yeah, you need to change change it yeah. up because nobody's coming to get to your yard signs. Also, I think, uh, in, my, in my opinion... Yard signs help. I don't know if they. I feel like they 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 might be detrimental because if I'm not paying attention to politics and then I know my neighbors because that's you're, you're going to see those yard signs all the time, and then you see the Trump sign and then all the other ones. You're like, okay, oh, is there an election coming up? Because I'm not political at all. And the midterms is a perfect example. I think the uh, the 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 clerk I had Jenny Dingmeyer on the county clerk yesterday. She said there's a February election. And I went, what's on that ballot? And she copped out and she goes, well, I'm still paying. I'm still worried about it because she probably didn't know what was on the ballot at that point. But in neither do I. There's a February election for something in, in this area, but I don't know what. Um, but as somebody that's not political at all will be like, oh, is there because I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of younger people. And they're like, oh, I don't even I didn't even know what midterms are. Right. 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 Like the, 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 the joke is the college students would be like, oh, do we have a midterm coming up? Do I have to study? Right. I have to say, though, um. With as contentious as politics is right now, and obviously we've seen a lot of negativity out there in the world, um, that causes people, particularly college students and people who may not otherwise vote or tune in, they know a lot more today than they did five, eight years ago when politics was not as contentious. So um, one of the advantages of contentious politics, if we needed to look on the bright side of something like that, is that more people are tuned in because they think it matters. So um, something like yard signs, seeing a lot of them, just tells you that a lot of people think it matters who they vote for. And that's probably a good thing in a democracy. Um, you've been doing, you've been teaching political science for a decade or more? Yeah, than so I st- uh, first started teaching in 2006. Okay, okay, so quite a while. But at UWL, it's a decade. I just want to gauge this again. I like to do this every time. In 2006, your, your students probably a little sleepy during your mm-hmm. class, maybe because you're young and, and new at this, but also 2006, I'm trying to gauge where social media was in 2006. Oh, yeah, it because, was. Because now you can get 
everybody, everybody except my Minnesota assembly rep is on the internet. He ran unopposed. He doesn't have a website. He doesn't have a Twitter. He doesn't have Facebook. I don't know what he stands for about anything. I just know he's a Republican and he ran unopposed. But everyone else is out there. So um, your your students in college are going to be, and then beyond that, I guess just in general, people are going to be more engaged because they could see this on this little device in their phone. Right. Well, the, the so they they can be more engaged, and certainly there is the opportunity to be more engaged. One of the more interesting research. Uh, areas that has come out in politics is how much more or less informed people are with so the proliferation of social media. And it turns out that people actually aren't better informed, even though I literally have the entire internet in my hand. It doesn't mean I can answer that's a question. I, about that's why I said engage. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting too, because this is, this is what's important is, okay. So on our website, wisdomnews.com, we have a trending side and the, the trending stories over the last couple of days, the Doyle and Hipsch race, the debate there or the, uh, the Billings Woodard race, the sheriff's race, and then just like where, where you can go to get help, like a ride to go voting. Those are four of the top fives. The other one's a, a, a UW basketball story. Cause uh, we have a lacrosse kid on the starting in the starting lineup for the Badgers. But this is what people are going to the polls and going, uh, who's Ryan Hipsch and yep. Steve Doyle yep. who, Oh, there I have a sheriff's race. This is exactly what I did when I was at the polls. I was like, Oh, I have to vote for this school board, Houston school board. Again, I did it. I went to the polls and I didn't think about school board race. And then I couldn't find anything on the Houston, Minnesota school board. So I was kind of SOL there. Um, But that's, I mean, if you look at our trending stories, people went to the polls and then started doing their research or maybe the day of the polls, I I should say, they probably like, okay, now, now I know let's cram. They're cramming, right? So, yeah, well, and that's what I was going to say is that the social media doesn't necessarily create more informed voters, but competition does. And so even though social media itself, all things being equal, wouldn't, or uh, online news sources, um, what does drive people to these kinds of, this kind of information, your website is this idea that these elections are going to matter. And so that's kind of the, the point that um, we've seen uh, from a political science side is that the more competitive a race is, the more interested people are in the outcome, the more likely they are going to seek information. And that's where having information readily available is important. It's not that if, if they didn't think it was going to matter, they wouldn't go on the, the website. They as in the politicians. Voters. Oh, voters. Yeah. Because I was going to say the politicians. No, politicians are, yeah, politicians, unless they're unopposed. Well, unopposed, I had two politicians. Your one denied answering the questions, and the other one in the area de- denied debating, right? Like de- like called out your, your college and called out the media and said that that wasn't going to be trustworthy. Me and uh, the La Crosse County Democratic Party chair uh, kind of broke that down a little bit, and it was like, well, if you feel like you get an unfair question during a debate, you could call that out during the debate. That would ma- that would probably embolden you and then strengthen your, your candidacy if you, if you did that, but to choose not to debate... Uh, you know, it's, 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 I don't, I, I see it as a disservice and then choosing not to answer questions. The questions are there. You can, you write whatever answer you want. How can they be unfair? Then don't write an answer for one of them. So, yeah. And every time that there is an election with a debate, there is a calculation that candidates make in obviously refusing to debate is, is one of the options, um, whether they think the debates will help them or hurt them electorally. There's no question that there were voters out there who were wanting a debate. And some people are arguing that Van Orden would have won by more had he had a debate uh, and, and that 
the debate would have caused less people to be suspicious what he was avoiding. Um, but every single candidate, whether they accept a debate or not, are thinking, what is this debate going to do for my campaign? And in the case of Van Orden, whether the candidate or people in his campaign decided was that he was going to be better running without a debate. And that's certainly an option. And then voters can hold it against a candidate. How how interested were you in that race in terms of a it's fine. She can crunkle those paper. The, the, <laughs> the a, a he didn't debate um, be the money in that race. The, the money was like four to one in Van Orden's favor, I believe. And then you start reading about how the Democrats and, and the, the money that surrounds the Democratic Party kind of abandoned Brad Paff. I don't do you do you dive into all that stuff? And Ab- do you- yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the things that and, and if anyone saw this being reported, um, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, and the Republicans have one, too. They have a pot of money that they send out to races. And there is a set of complicated factors that go into deciding where this money would be the most useful. So they're evaluating things like how much air buys are costing, whether the opponents have bought a certain amount, what the polls say. And so in this district, they pulled money that was that was going to go to the district. Um, and of course, the candidate who the money was going to support is going to be disappointed in that. Uh, but the national parties are making those decisions. Um, yeah, the, the candidates, after the fact now, Brad Path lost by 4%. Do you think the, there's a there. What does you call it? The D triple C and and the entities that surround yeah. that. Do you think they went? Oh crap! We maybe we should have put more money in this race. Or do you think they went a four percent? And we we probably did it did our due diligence not to do anything. Yeah, I mean they they have some uh, the the people who work at those things. They there are probably disagreements in the room at the time when they're making the decision. So there might have been someone there saying, "Oh, we should have sent it there," and they may have today be saying. You know, would that have been closer? Could we have gained another couple of points? Uh, but that money went somewhere. And so there were other places. This where, is a national thing, yeah, right? right? So it's not like a statewide because where else would the money go? Because there's only two. Is there only two U.S. house seats that are kind of. Well, there's not even. I, I think this was the only one. The other ones were double digits or not even uh, contested. Okay. Yeah, that's a problem, too, right? Like, yeah, it's that's just, the result of gerrymandering for sure. Gerrymandering. And then we we took Governor Evers maps last time for at least the U.S. house. Right. But like he had too many rules. To uh, and it's and it's funny we took we took quote unquote Governor Evers maps to to write like maybe maybe we shouldn't have a system where we have to take the governor the Democratic governor's maps for the U.S. House of Representatives is silly right right and that's what where gerrymandering and district line drawing is one of the more controversial things we see right now. All right, when we come back, I'll let you uh, you know I, I guess brag about you you calling some of these races. Uh, we'll be back with you to be lacrosse political science professor Dr. Tim Dale. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. We to wrap up. We got a couple. We got quite a quite a bit of time here yet, Tim. So we got to get we got to get to some of these things on your list because I I always forget to, to we got the yard signs out of the way at least. But um, all right. So you 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 predicted that Ron Johnson would win and Governor Tony Evers would win, and I and you want to brag about that. But I would say. Oh, you predicted the two incumbents would win? Oh, big deal. <laughs> right. Well, so um, this is one of the things that political scientists like to do is they like to make predictions based on what they think, and then we hope that people forget when we get it wrong. Yeah, right. But, yeah. I mean, uh, so obviously I wouldn't, guy, yeah. I wouldn't be bringing it up if I uh, <laughs> wasn't going to brag about it. But I, I do fess up when I got it wrong. But um, we see some really important factors, and you mentioned one of them, why it's easy to predict. And I tell my students, if you want to seem smart with friends and family, take all the names out of it, predict incumbents would win, and also predict that uh, split ticket voting would make a difference. So what we talked about before in terms of a voting Democrat in the state 
and the governor and voting Republican for the national legislature when you have a Democratic president and a Republican legislature, that's something that over and over and over again, it happens. And so uh, when I make these predictions, it's not necessarily because I'm looking at polls, although that, those help to understand what's going on. But Wisconsin is so narrowly divided. And it, I think one of the things that people lose when we, when we see how polarized politics are, that is how much people are fighting with each other, is that we're also split pretty much down the middle. So it isn't that uh, you know, one side is overwhelmingly winning, or and, and we see this natural, na- nationally and in Wisconsin. And so the reason I was fairly confident to, pr- to make a prediction like that is, number one, because of incumbent advantage, um, but also because all it takes is Evers to pull two or three points better than Mandela Barnes, and that's the difference. We know these races are going to be 51-49. That's pretty much what we have. And so to know that Wisconsin is split right down the middle, we can predict that all Evers has to do is a couple of points better than Barnes, and he's going to be governor. And then we just see how in that race you had a stronger candidate in Evers and a stronger candidate in Johnson. All right. Uh, aside from Wisconsin, because I don't think anyone can look at Wisconsin and say, you know, it did it did anything unpredictable. But the, the red wave or the tidal wave or the red, like that. So it's funny to me because that A didn't happen and B Democrats are sure touting that a lot for losing a bunch of elections. Is there do do Democrats have reason to feel positive about losing a bunch of elections but not losing in in a landslide of elections or that red wave? Right. So one of the things that people might be a little uh curious about if they're watching national coverage of this race is that it's being treated like a Republican loss even right. though they picked up probably what's going to end up being about 12 seats somewhere around there. Um, But what I think the historical context people need in order to do this, and I ran the numbers uh, actually yesterday morning, um, is looking back at the first midterm election when a president comes to office for the last 100 years. And I'm just going to give you a couple of them. So Bill Clinton, people might remember the contract with America, Newt Gingrich, this is 1994, loses uh, 53 seats in the House of Representatives. Um, We have uh, Biden, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it would be Trump lost 40 seats. Uh, Obama lost 63 seats in his first midterm. So these are huge numbers that the party who has power in Congress loses when the president is in that party. Uh, the reason that it's being called a, de- a Democratic victory is it's not – you don't look at an election in a vacuum and say Democrats won 12 seats. It's Democrats could have lost 50 seats, 60 seats, which is a huge political shift. And so the reason that uh, – political scientists and national pundits are saying, and even people in the Republican Party are calling it a loss, is that this was, by all historical patterns, going to be an election that the Republicans would need to work hard to lose. And so I think there are several factors in why they, they didn't have the, the voting success that they should have had given these other historical races that, that we see. One of those factors is the people on the ballot are election deniers, right? That's you have these crazy people that believe the twenty twenty. We're still. I mean, we did this in Wisconsin until maybe a month ago, and then we, you know what? Maybe we should put this election denier crap to bed. We've we've run it for all it's worth. We spent a million dollars investigating it to no end, and then uh, so that that is a problem. Is there? And that one's easy because you're just like, oh, you're a crazy person, and then you can't win an election, and then say the twenty twenty election was stolen. Nothing's changed really. So. Well, one of the things that Republicans are talking about today, and this is behind closed doors and publicly, is that uh, the reason that these other uh, midterm elections were so successful is that there was a unified party message 
that the candidates were using. So when Newt Gingrich came out with the contract with America, it was a thing. It was a publication. And people running for Congress who are Republican were bought into that. They signed a contract that said, this is what we're going to do. And so what I think Republicans are disappointed in this election is that we didn't see that kind of contract, that kind of push. And that's also the push that we saw when Democrats took over when uh, Trump was president. It was an anti-Trump unifying vote. And that really just didn't come together nationally for for a lot of different reasons. Did either party have a unifying? Because we had some election deniers. We had some running on inflation and in the economy. We had some running on rampant crime. The the funniest one to me is, okay, election deniers, just roll my eyes at that one. The, the out-of-control crime that we have people running on, we had local candidates running on out-of-control crime. How many people are locking their doors at their house in, in La Crosse County? You know, like, out-of-control crime, I don't, I don't, people aren't really seeing that, so it's a weird thing to run on. Uh, man, if, if, if the other things that people aren't running on, health insurance, health care, we, we did that during the midterms between, you know, in, in Trump's presidency. And, and the health care was like, well, look at it. We ran on health care and we won. Well, you also just won because it was midterms. But nobody's running on stuff that like literally affects us every day. Price of gas, uh, inflation, economy and health insurance and health care. Well, one of the things that probably got the closest to that, and I think we saw it nationally, and it was a factor, is uh, abortion rights on the Democratic side. I think that one of the things we saw with exit polling is that that did drive turnout where there could have been a huge deficit of enthusiasm among Democrats. One of the reasons that the party, if the president loses in the next election, is that people are either disappointed with the the way the president is governing, uh, and Biden's uh, approval rating actually is the same historically in the mid to low 40s for all of these presidents that I just mentioned. Um, And so uh, one of the the abortion decision, and we actually knew it when it came down, it was going to be a mobilizing factor. And so you had voters going to the polls, not necessarily because they really liked the candidates or because they were excited about Biden's presidency, uh, but they were going to the polls to vote on this issue. And so that that took that message to a more national level than it would have been had the Dobbs decision not been made. Um, do, do Republicans like get Lindsey Graham in a room and just start like punching him? Because at one point, that I feel like the abortion thing settled a little bit because we went to states... And that was like, eh, for Republicans, it was settled a little bit. And then Lindsey Graham went, eh, actually, we're going to try to pass that if we win an uh, upcoming election. Right. And I think that that was part of the um, the lack of a consistent message is that they couldn't get the Republicans on the same page, even with what their messaging was on abortion. You actually saw Michaels uh, suffer for that, I think, in Wisconsin a little bit, is that if you poll the country, people don't want absolutist positions. Even people who tend to be uh, against abortion um, aren't really into making it against the law in all cases. Uh, and so I think um, where Republicans were were not quite all together, and you bring up Lindsey Graham as a good example, is what are they going to stand for as a party, particularly in these uh, state and local races where it actually does matter where people stand because abortion is now what the states are. All right, that's UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Tim Dale. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening.